And we see this explosion of things like TrackMan and all these things that are capable of measuring, you know, to the just the nth degree, take that information and give it to somebody who's devoted their life, their life's work and their passion like Phil has, uh, to taking that data and really fine tuning things. That inspires us at Odyssey to no end. This is the Fitting Room Podcast. Here's your host, Nate Adelman. The world of fitting and the world of instruction are so closely related. And and oftentimes we hear golfers who come in for a fitting, who leave the fitting, not only with a great recommendation of golf clubs, but also feeling like they just got a lesson. You know, they'll say, uh, you know, I, I, I got clubs, but I felt like my fitter taught me about my swing and taught me about what I'm doing well and what I'm doing wrong. And it was really helpful in making me a better player. And conversely, we talk to instructors who fitting and making sure that their students have the right equipment is essential to part of their fitting process. And so today on the fitting room, we've assembled, I think, the two people. Uh, the first is Phil Kenyon. Phil is one of the world's greatest putting instructors and one of the most sought after putting instructors who works with amateurs all the way up to the best players in the world. The other is a, uh, a close friend of the fitting room, and that's uh, none other than Sean Toulon, who I would say from a product standpoint and from an equipment standpoint is amongst the most knowledgeable and the most well-equipped in the putter category to talk about anything related to uh, putters, putter equipment, putter fitting. And I think if we put them together in one episode and let them go, we're going to have, uh, you know, we don't know what, what's going to come out of it, but we know that golfers are going to learn a lot about putting. They're going to learn a lot about the equipment and hopefully we'll become better putters to have a better understanding of, of what they're doing with the flat stick on the putting green. So really exciting episode coming up. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But before, I just want to have a quick reminder. This is the last week to enter uh, our July fitting room contest. It's very, very simple. All we're asking is for you to subscribe to the fitting room. If you're not already subscribed, leave us a review. Let us know what, what you like, what we can be better at. Um, and if you do that in the first three weeks of July, uh, you will be entered to win a Maverick driver of your choosing. And of course, we will let you give us your specs because uh, here on The Fitting Room, we believe in getting you at, at everything that is properly fit for you. So very simple, just uh, leave, a, leave us a review, subscribe to The Fitting Room, and you'll be entered to win um, super easy. So without further ado, when we come back, we'll be joined with Sean Toulon and Phil Kenyon here in The Fitting Room Podcast. All right, Sean, are you there? I am, Nate. And Phil, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Excellent. So uh, lucky today to be joined by uh, two of the gentlemen who know more about putters than, than anyone else I know. And Sean, I know we've been doing, uh, we being Odyssey, has been working very closely with Phil over the last couple of years. Do you want to give us a little background of the work you guys are doing together and uh, how Phil's helping the Odyssey? Well, we, uh, we've been working together now for the better part, I don't know, gosh, three or four years, I guess, Phil, huh? Um, but it's been for, for us at Odyssey to, to really have access to somebody like Phil Kenyon, who, um, aside from being a, a really good human being and a very, very smart guy, um, he's really dedicated his life and his life's work 
uh, to understand understanding putting, understanding putters, understanding um, you know really all of the nuance that goes into this part of the game, which is really more you know in the past has sort of been more art than science. And and Phil has really been able to I think maybe the only guy that I know of at least that's really been able to to take um, the art and science and and really put it together in you know, a, a way that people could understand and, and learn from and ultimately become better putters. So Phil has helped us immeasurably um, in uh, developing our own thoughts and processes together to, uh, to try to help fitting and, and really technology come together as we design more putters. So Phil, I know um, your, uh, I'd say, well, maybe not, but your day job is you work with a lot of uh, tour players and you help <laughs> them become better putters. Uh, that's one of the things you do. So talk to us a little bit about where you see the overlap of being an instructor, but also working on the actual equipment and the fitting sides of, of the putter. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, fitting is an you know, intrinsic part of any lesson, really. Um, you know, I think whenever you're working with a player, you know, you've always got to look at the component of the putter itself, you know, and the part that that plays within that, you know, the player's pattern. It, the, the putter could be so influential that um, you really do have to pay attention to that. You know, it can affect the player's aim. It can impact some of their stroke dynamics. So it is a, a, an integral part of any lesson. And what are some of the trends that you've been seeing lately amongst, you know, some of the best putters in, in the world and what they're choosing for their equipment. In recent years, you know, there's definitely more technology being embraced within putting. Um, you know, from technology in terms of like player assessments, you know, the coaching aspect now, you, you know, things like TrackMan, who for years were devoted to sort of, you know, analyzing the full swing side of stuff. You know, they've got really, you know, clever uh, putting program out now. You've got the likes of Sam, Putt Lab, Quintic, Oral, Capto, all these, you know, fabulous devices which really give you rich information as to, you know, what the player is doing with their stroke and can give you great information to help from a putter fitting perspective. So, you know, definitely we're embracing more and more technology, I think, within that part of the game. So I think, you know, our opportunity to provide a, a, a better fitting experience, I mean, I think that's helped immeasurably having access to this kind of technology i think that's really helped um, and obviously you know with the likes of people like sean in the industry you know the you know products getting better and better you know last few years i think you know the, some um some of the technology that's we've seen in, in put ahead design shaft technology you know that the, there's definitely been a, a step up with regards to products as well so phil we've seen um i, I i'll say maybe a five-year trend where five years ago we probably had on tours around the world, professional tours, probably 65% of the golfers would use some sort of a blade and yeah. about 35% of the players would use a mallet. Now we've seen that totally flip-flop. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think a, a key component with that though is I think like historically mallets tended to be face balanced, I think, right. didn't they? And yep. I think, you know, the, the I, I don't know if it, is it a new category, but this, you know, mallet with like um, the smaller hosel, whether we call like gooseneck or flow neck or whatever, 
I think that's had a big impact because you've got the kind of the benefit of a mallet from like a high, you know bigger footprint, higher MOI, but you've got some toe hanging there. So, and I, I think historically, you know, good players have always gravitated towards toe hang because it it kind of brings alive the putter in terms of the feedback from the club that like the talk profile of the club. I think players subconsciously engage with. And, and uh, as a consequence, having, you know, some toe hang on, on these mallets that they can still, they can still feel that club, but they're getting the benefit of the, um, you know, the, the head shape typically associated with a mallet. I think that's fascinating. So when you say feel the club head, you're talking about the torque or the rotational um, the sort torque, of desire yeah. of a different putter? Yeah. Cause you know, you, you can you basically apply sort of like three forces to the the club. We've got like the in plane force, which would be the the rotation of the club, which be sort of like the, that's the main force that we apply. Which would be if we're looking side onto the golfer, the the adding loft or de lofting of the club. Then we've got some kind of about the shaft twist, which would be a small force. Um, and then we've got like changes in lie angle, which would be a small force. But the, the bigger force that we apply is that in-plane force. And with a toe-hang putter, that force, that's not in line with the CG of the club. So potentially it can create some twist in, 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 the, in the club head. And I think golfers or good players really engage in, in that talk and they can sense it. So... I think even like subconsciously, it gives them a greater awareness of where that club head is in time and space. And that, personally, that's why I, I think you know good players have always tended to go for toe balance putters. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a toe hang mallet, I think, gives them a little bit more feel in that respect. Yeah, I yeah, think that's been a big. Sorry, Nate. I think ahead. the toe hang mallet really has been a big, big innovation, and I think it's really to as a as a a company that you know designs products um i think it's really opened up a totally different category for us and really a new frontier it's been exciting yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah and phil you had mentioned um you had mentioned technology and uh, infusing technology not only in and analyzing people's putting strokes and and the ball's performance but also with the equipment and one of the technologies that i've seen you know takeover on the PGA tour, you see him, you know, every weekend on, on TV is that stroke lab shaft you mentioned. So what have you seen with stroke lab and the tour players you're working with that, uh, or, you know, any player that you're working with that has been, uh, you know, something that's been successful or something that's, that's, uh, driven uh, better putting results. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, I spoke to Sean a lot about this when, um, in the early stages of the development of the shaft. And I mean, over time you see, you see trends on tour and, and, and a lot of the times those trends are actually pushed by the manufacturer and that, um, you know, and, and head weights have definitely gotten heavier and heavier. And I think uh, possibly too heavy at times. Um, now I think with the, for me, what I found with, with the shaft, it was like the redistribution of the weight. It didn't, you know, the club head, although, you know, or the, the overall weight of the club, although it could be fairly similar, the swing weight felt slightly different, different, and the distribution of the weight up the shaft gave it a different feel. 
And one of the first times I really started to see or start, I started to see the advantage of that was when I did some testing with Francesco Molinari. Because <clears throat> at the time, we were just kind of fitting him for his first um, Odyssey putter. And we had some of the early shafts. And one of the sort of areas that Francesco had struggled in at times is sort of controlling the rhythm, timing, and swing length aspect of the stroke. And um, as soon as we tested the sort of stroke lab shaft, there was a significant improvement in performance in that area. The, the, the change in the balance of the club helped Francesco. So that was one of the first indications I saw where I thought, you know what, this product could actually help a lot of players here. Now, of the various uh, uh, parts of the putter that you can adjust, so... Stroke lab shaft being one of them. We've talked a little bit about toe hang being one of them. Um, we haven't talked about length, but I know that there's some stories of players you worked with where simply changing the putter one inch has seemed to fix some of the, the issues that they were having. Um, head weight. So of all these, you know, let's say those are the top five most popular variables. Which do you think is, what order should we go about fitting those or about worrying about those for, for a golfer, for a player? Ooh, well, I mean, there are lots of different um, facets of the fitting which can be important, and it can really just depend on the individual. I mean, the basics of any fit for me are, are length, lie, and loft. You know, the length of the club is going to affect the player's setup position. It's going to affect their eye position, so it can have a big impact on their aim. It's going to affect their hand position, which is going to have a knock-on effect on, on the mechanics. So you've got immediate thing is length you've got to consider you know you've got the loft which is really important I think the average amateur golfer doesn't wouldn't know what the, the loft of their putter is nor would they know whether they de-loft or add loft during the stroke so there's the dynamic loft aspect and you know the dynamic loft impact is is really important in terms of determining the launch of the ball that's going to have an impact on your speed control and, and even direction. And then, you, you know, obviously lie angle. I mean, lie angle probably isn't as, as important as what people may think, but, you know, we can get away with the toe being slightly up or, or, or down. It's not going to affect um, the face angle too much because the face plane tilt is very small within a, within a putter because we don't have a lot of loft, you know, which is, if they go Steve Stricker, you know, his heel, heel off the ground, you know, puts really well. So lie angle probably isn't that important. Um, but, you know, for me, what I think is really important is the alignment configuration of the club. Um, you know, it's going to have a big impact on aim. So the head shape, um, the, the detail of the alignment configuration, and then also the 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 putter balance we talked about toe hang just a second ago um the the head shape the location of the um, hosel relative to the cg of the head those those factors are going to influence how the putter moves potentially so you're into sort of the dynamics of the stroke there and selecting the right head you know head shape selecting the right balance of the club can be at times really critical for the player can make a big difference there are times when it can make none, none or, or very little difference. Um, but you really don't know that until you actually test that with a player. Um, and I think in recent years, because of the 
technology we have available now, we can very accurately measure the impact that the club can have. And I think that's been, you know, critical. Yeah. Hey, Nate, let me, let me jump in here. So, Phil, when, when you're looking, working with a golfer, any, any caliber of golfer, where do you, in your, in your fit, and maybe it varies by player, but where do you um, address alignment? Is that one of the first things you look at and try to understand for a golfer, or where is that in the process? Um, that's, it's really early on in the process for me. I mean, as it, I have a coaching preference where I like players to align well. Um, I don't <laughs> like to see that you. seems to make sense to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can, you, there are good examples out there of players who don't align well, who have the ability to score the club at impact and they can put well. But for me, I think that there'll be certain situations where that it can be a struggle to be efficient with that kind of pattern. And, um, you know, as a preference, I, I do prefer to see good alignment, but then consequently the stroke needs, needs to match that alignment. Right. So whenever you're looking at alignment and a stroke tendency, they have to they go hand in hand. So you kind of work it on them simultaneously, but I, I'll be very aware of that player's alignment pattern early on. Um, and I'll try and work out what is the key reason that player aims poorly because sometimes it might not really be down to aiming per se, but it's driven by their stroke. You know, someone could have a stroke bias to, you know, pull or push puts. So subconsciously that their aim could then be, you know, driven in, in, in a way to accommodate that. So if I've got a pull bias, you know, a lot of good players intuitively will learn to aim right to manage right. that. Other players will be, you know, could have a perceptual bias so that they don't really have a very clear perception of straight or square. And they might be, you know, visually trying to aim, but that's, that bias is causing the error. Um, so you kind of really just piece together what would be the root cause of that aim very early on. So, Phil, one of the things that, that we see a lot, and I can tell you I see a lot when I'm out and about working with players um, at member guests, and the, this is typically a little different caliber of golfer that you might deal with, but um, <laughs> just the inconsistency of the aim, you know, and just for, for people listening, if you're off by one degree from 10 feet, um, your putter blade is not aimed inside the hole. In fact, if you hit it right where you're aiming, you'll miss. But what we yeah. see is, you know, on average, people are three or four degrees off. But what's really scary is they're three or four degrees off left on one putt. And then the very next one, they can be off two, three, four degrees to the right. Um, so th that's, that's a whole different issue. But um, what do you do for players like that? It, it just seems to me that they're missing or they lack a process. Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head. A lot of time, they actually lack a process or um, an understanding of their own biases. I mean, you, you do, a lot of times you'll see, you know, huge inconsistencies like that, but also at times you'll see players that have a particular, in a particular direction. Um, but with either, either type of player, it's understanding, you know, what's their best process to see straight, to see square. You know, some players really struggle with their alignment, you know, so 
so badly, they'd be better using a line on the ball. Other players, you know, they can't line up the line on the ball. They're going to be better suited, you know, doing something else. But the, the average amateur golfer, I, I don't think, appreciates the underlying processes that go behind aiming a putter well or aiming a ball well. And um, therefore, they go about it in a very random way. And often you'll get these very random results as a consequence. Mm-hmm. So for those players, Phil, that are, are random, and I would say, honestly, the, the average club golfer, I would say most of the players that I see are random. You know, the, yeah. So their ball position varies, their hand position varies, their eye line, it, it's, it's different on every single putt. So yeah. th- that was really sort of the genesis behind the idea of triple track on the ball and the putter. At least, at least it got them into a place where they could begin to do the same things all the time. Um, what, what are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, I mean, alignments, it's a big coaching preference for, mine, for, for me, and it's something that I've always looked at you know, as a coach, trying to better understand, you know, delving into the optic side of things, trying to learn more about, you know, um, you know, the vision science, things like that. So I really appreciate and, and, and understand the importance of alignment. You know, one of the best products I've come across in my lifetime was Versa. You know, Versa was unbelievable. When that first came out, you know, I thought this is a game changer because for me, some people are better actually squaring off than lining up, you know, and, and even some people would a better squaring off to a line. There's, there's a lot of different combinations out there. But right. I think, like, you know, the great thing with Odyssey for me in terms of my studio, when, I, when it comes to fitting a player, I've got those options in there, whether it's going down the triple track route with a ball, triple track with a putter, matching those up, whether it's looking at, you know, a versa style alignment procedure, versus style with no line on the ball, versus style with a line on the ball. You know, you generally got it covered because there will be a different combination uh, that could work better for one player um, over another. But really, you know, a lot of time that's actually a trial and error process. Right. The whole thing behind vernier acuity and, and um, how people struggle with it. I think, uh, it, yeah, that's been an interesting sort of learning experience for me and, and um like I say, when I saw triple track, I thought, well, that's another base covered at least. Yeah, Nate, I, I can speak a little bit to that um, because we, we, we spend most of our time working with amateur golfers. Right. Um, we, we, we see a massive improvement. But I think to, to Phil's point, I think what it does is, and I would agree, not everybody can align a ball perfectly. But if, um, for the average golfer, that might be off two or three degrees left on one and two or three degrees right on the other it definitely narrows that down. Um, so I, I think their scope of, um, I'll call it alignment indifference, is, is narrowed dramatically. So from that standpoint, we, we see them putt way better from four, five, or six feet, you know, where, where you take some of the randomness out of it. Um, and I think it's, it's just because we take their, um, uh, their, their ability to, to aim it, um, you know, and, and we, we improve that pretty dramatically. So that's been really, really good. Um, anyways, for, for us, that, that part of it, 
the, the four, five, six, even all the way to eight feet, we see a pretty dramatic improvement. And it's a small sample size, but the uh, golfers that I've played with who maybe they aligned their ball before, maybe they didn't even use any sort of alignment, once they've tried triple track, they don't want to go back. And triple track, it's just so easy to align it accurately, whereas sometimes a single line can be difficult. Well, I think the other part of it, and Phil, I'll turn it over to you here in just a second, but because you talk so much about, about speed and how important that is, matching speed to your read, all of that. What's cool for, for you know, and I think the club golfer can really see this, is um, if, if they at least believe in their mind that they're aligned better, all they have to worry about now is the speed, right? So they're, they're now not thinking about alignment. They're thinking about how hard they're going to hit it. And I, and I think that just begins to take some of the variability out of the equation. And, and I think they become better because of that. So, Phil, maybe you could talk a little bit more about alignment and reading and, and, and speed. Yeah, I mean, sure. But I actually think where it helps a lot of golfers is it does give them a definitive process that they can stick to. Right. You know, and I think at times, you know, stood behind the ball and looking at things in terms of like binocular vision is a lot easier for them to align the ball in that sense. And then they can just step in and, and trust that. I think the biggest advantage I would say is giving them a, a consistent process I and then the obvious advantage of more accuracy through the, you know, the, the triple track and the, you know, improved vernier acuity. Hey, hey, Nate, how, how long have we been talking so far? Uh, we have been at around 23 minutes. Shame on us. In 23 minutes, we haven't talked about Bryson yet. And, and <laughs> Phil, I don't think we'll talk about his diet. But, um, you know, I was watching golf this weekend, like I'm sure Nate was, and hopefully you were as well. But they had, they had a side view of Ricky Fowler, um, and you could really see um, his shaft going into the, into the putter head and uh, the lie angle being, it looked like fairly flat to me, probably 68 degrees. And then they went to Bryson, um, who has got to be almost max upright, pretty close to 79 degrees. And, and, you know, his technique is so different. What's going on there and, and what do you see and what do you like about that? Well, I think Bryson's someone that's clearly – you know, embrace technology, you know, in, in every part of his game. So if you look at how he's approached his putting, um, you know, he's tried to reduce a lot of variables in there. So like technically, in terms of the club being attached to his arm, you know, his lead arm position in particular, you know, he's locking out um, a lot of the joints and, and trying to reduce variables. Now, you know, for some players, they would actually say, well, yeah, you know, that's not going to whatever. There'd be some kind of complaint, but it clearly it works for Bryson, doesn't it? But I think one of the things that you can see Bryson's done, irrespective of the techniques he's employed over the last few years, you know, he's very much gone down to analysing his technique, in particular the launch of the ball, the launch and spin of the ball. So he'll spend time, you know, each week calibrating that he'll use a launch monitor on the putting green um, making sure he's got the correct launch and spin and once he's got that down then he goes and, and works on his speed control so he, he'll, he'll actually 
calibrate his swing length for the different speed and, and uh, different speeds of the green and different lengths of the putt. And then he also has a formula to help him with his green readings. So he's braced science in every area, but then he's also a element at the same time. Um, but he's, he's broken putting down for me, and I like it what he's done in terms of three skills. You know, you've got your start line, you know, and he's looking at his launching spin, and then he's got his speed work, and then he's got his green reading work. And he's very efficient about how he, he goes about that. And he has spoke about in the press how he felt like he used to waste a lot of time in his putting practice and how he's, you know, through refining what he, he's done, he feels he's more efficient. Mm. So, you know, if you actually look at that performance yesterday, everyone talks about his driving. He actually gained more with the putter than he did with the driver. I saw that. It was fascinating. Mm. Yeah. So, and if you swapped his putting stats with... Um, most of the guys in the top four, if you swapped his putting stats with their putting stats, he wouldn't have won. Isn't that crazy? So as, as much as obviously what he's doing with the long game at the moment and uh, how he's changed his body and the, the distance he's hitting it, you know, obviously that's, you know, unbelievable. He's quietly a very good putter. Right. You know? Yeah. So, and you've got to put well to win, haven't you? Clearly. <laughs> and he, he's kind of he's got that worked out a little bit at the moment as well. So it's interesting. Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. You and I have talked a lot about that and a lot about face balance putters and toe hang and and you know when we were working together with the whole more putts people uh, on our Odyssey Fits device, um, I was I was really in search of a just a very linear process. To which I remember you replied, well, you can have that. I'm just not going to put my name on it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but, but, but it really is. I mean, there's the human element and, and how a human being would really respond to different inputs, right? Well, that's it. I mean, you know, in all the years that I've like tested different putters and you really don't know, you really can't predict what will happen until you actually measure how the student responds to the club. Um, and, you know, there's certain, like, laws of physics which you, you, you would assume one club would um, produce A and another produce would, another club would produce B. But until you get it in the hands of the player and then the player applies the torque and movement to the, to the club, you really don't know how it's going to respond. So, you know, I've measured some players and, and the putters made no difference. And I've measured some players and they're really sensitive to what putter that they use. So... But just going back, I think, you know, to what we said at the start, I think that's where technology has really helped us understand a lot more because we have the ability to objectively measure it now, you know, what, how that player is responding. We've got objective data to then say, hey, you know, this is the best fit for you. This is going to work best for you. So, so speaking of technology, you are busy at work uh, launching a new online teaching platform. Um, so talk to us. Talk to us about that. Uh, we're we're excited to learn more about that. Yeah, and no, I'm excited to launch it. Really, um, that over the last few years, I've always had the idea of, you know, like an online platform where players could go and learn more about putting up. I've always felt like that was kind of missing, um, and in particular, the the manner in which I would want to deliver it. 
in where someone could go and learn more about what they do rather than a, like a prescribed method that everyone should do. And then really, I guess it was this period of lockdown. Obviously, it's been an unusual year to say the least, hasn't it? And um, at the start of this lockdown period, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have like three months at home here, possibly. Mm -hmm. so I, um, I'm not going to have a lot to do. So I thought, you know what, Let, let's get that up and running. Um, so I had some things in place. So decided to start sort of filming, um, filming the content for that and, and, and putting it together. So hopefully that's going to launch in, in August time, end of July, August. And the idea will be that, um, you know, the golfer can uh, join, uh, join the website and then work together um, or work through a, a series of videos which is going to help determine what's going to be best for them. Go through a series of tests to determine what sort of biases they have, you know, whether it be down to aim or start line, and then what they may need to do to improve their motion. So um, there's over. There's going to be probably by the time we finish, sort of three hundred, close to three hundred videos in there. Wow. Um, but also, like I said, a distinct process that the golfer could go through to tailor which are going to be the best videos for them to watch. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to, um, to, to, to getting that out there, actually. How many of those videos will have Sean, Sean in them uh, talking putters? <laughs> None, let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> Only the X-rated versions. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, really exciting stuff. I, I, I think that's going to help so many people Phil, um, you know, and it's interesting too, when you, when you talk to golfers, um, and again, this is a, this is, uh, you know, more the, the average golfer, I ask them right away, you know, if there is a pattern to their miss and a lot of golfers will say there isn't that they're just so random. Um, yeah. so uh, how do you help them with that? Well, the, the thing is a lot of those times, you know, that it's the outcome of the put, which, makes the golfer think that it is random because the speed or the read could disguise a lot of the patterns that the golfer has. So, you know, but it, it, it really comes from your analysis to, to help show that the player could have a consistent aim bias or a consistent stroke bias, um, or indeed show them that they don't have a consistent bias. They have a, a random, um, random element to it. So it's really more in the analysis that you're able to do that. But I would say for a lot of, a lot of golfers, and, you know, if you're brand new to the game, you don't have any pattern, do you? You know, you are going to be particularly random. But as you start right. to develop, you'll typically, I think, develop a couple of patterns. Um, and it, the key is trying to unlock what those are for any player. And that really comes down to, you know, a very good analysis procedure to be able to do that. Okay, I'm asking. Go, go ahead, Nate. Go ahead. I was going to say, I was just going to try to plug that. Is that uh, philkenyonputting.com is where listeners can learn more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So philkenyonputting.com. If you head over there now, um, we've actually got a free gift um, where we, we, as a kind of like intro to the launch or ahead of the launch, we put together what you know we thought were six really good videos, and uh, to give you know um, golfers a, a little insight into what we've we've got planned. 
two videos based upon start line, two videos based on speed, two videos based on green reading. And then also um, a free download where they can look at, you know, how best to, to, to warm up prior to a game of golf. So if they head over to the website now, they'll be able to access that gift. Awesome. Hey, Phil, how many, how many touring professionals now worldwide would you say that you work with consistently? Um, at, at the moment, the, there are sort of 10 guys which I would work with, you know, in a very, um, you know, like consistent, you know, full-time kind of role. Yeah, that, that would keep you very busy, I would imagine, huh? Uh, yeah, keeps me busy. <laughs> I know that when we're at a tour event and when I'm there and, or my son, Joe, who you see a lot, uh, yeah. you are a very, very diff difficult person to get a word in. It's, it's, it's fascinating watching you work with these players. Yeah. Tour, tour events, it's, you know, typically busy. I always make sure I don't try and arrange anything at, at an event, you know, um, unless it's dinner. Um, <laughs> Even that during, part. <laughs> during the day, you know, my time is, is, uh, taken up. Um, I mean, I very rarely get all sort of 10 players playing in the same event, but it, it wouldn't be uncommon to have sort of like six or seven players playing the same event. And, um, it does sort of take up most of your, most of your day then, but I, I enjoy it. You know, there's worse things to, to do for a living for sure. So we haven't seen a lot of, of uh, especially some of the European players, um, but Molinari, um, you know, who's near and dear to our heart anyways, um, just love him. How, how is he progressing and, and, um, and what does this putting look like now? Or I don't know if you've seen him recently or not. Yeah, well, obviously after, I think, you know, <sighs> TPC got cancelled and, and uh, obviously the Europeans headed home. Yeah. We had quite a strong lockdown in the UK, um, which we're just coming out of now. And, you know, Fran, Fran struggled a little bit with injury. You know, you, you know yourself, he had to pull out of Bay Hill. And, and when he got back, I think he took some time to really get fit. Mm -hmm. I know he's been working hard at his game over the last month. But I think also... During the lockdown, he had a, like a period of reflection, and during that time, he's decided to actually move to the U.S. I just saw that. Yeah, In California. So I think, yeah, California. Yeah, so he'd be a neighbor. Um, although I think it's more possibly more northerly than where you are. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's kind of really in the throes of of a big family move. Um, hence why he's not played you know, the last few weeks, but I'm sure he'll be back competing as soon as possible. And, you know, I was actually down, down at the Wisley um, the other week to, to see him do some work and he was in good spirits. He looked in good nick and, you know, working hard on his game. So hopefully he'll come out all, all guns blazing. Of, of all the players that you've worked with, um, who do you think has had the, the, the greatest transformation? That's probably a tough one to answer, but try I'm gonna, we're we're going to test your diplomacy here. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a tough one, really, because you, I mean, you can look at it from a statistical point of view, can't you, at times? Um, I, I know when 
you know, a good a good story. I mean, what makes a good story as well? But um, I mean, obviously, like Fran, I think made some big improvements when we've you know in that first year, which kind of you know led to some great moments for him mm. um, in terms of his wins and stuff like that. So I think like that was nice. To- I think you know, I worked with Justin Rose for a little bit longer and there's a quite an interesting story. When I first worked with him in 2016, Sean Foley sent me an email and uh, Mark Brody had put some stats together and they'd looked at what it took for Justin Rose to become world number one. And he was struggling a little bit at the time with injury. I think his world ranking had fallen outside of top 10, but there was like a refocus to say, right, this is where we want to get back to. And... Um, at the time, Justin had never been inside the top 100, uh, you know, putting-wise. And I think they worked out that he needed to gain something like 0.4 strokes. <laughs> and Mark Brody had, had said, well, you can gain 0.1 here. You know, putting in particular, you could gain, you know, a significant amount. And I think he might be even outlined like 0.2 or 0.3 from putting. And in particular, there was one area sort of inside six feet and um yeah so that got that email at the very start so it was clear you know what what he was working towards and then you know he he actually got to world number one you know didn't he last year and um he his average strokes gained went up half a shot with his putting which more than accounted for that you know missing number that he, he yeah so that that you know that that was interesting to see that at the, the the onset of what they were looking to try and do and then you know Justin worked really hard with his putting over over that two-year period of time and um, like I say he'd never been in the top 100 to you know last two years he's been um, in the top 20 and I think uh, last couple of years as well inside 10 feet he, he's been sort of like ranked second or third so I, I'd you know I'd be pretty particularly proud of that one. I mean, ultimately, you know, it's the players that do it, but it's just nice to have a little bit of a role and a little bit of input. But, you know, um, a coach is only as good as the players that he works with. Yeah. Go ahead, Nate. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, Phil, we, we, um, I, I've got a, a, one last bonus question for you. One of my uh, regular co-hosts on the show, Dave Neville, um, is a training aid aficionado. He... <laughs> He's got, he's got a book this thick of his own personal reviews uh, uh, on all the different training aids. And uh, I, I've noticed, at least with the tour players, there's a lot more training aids on the putting green than the average golfer will have at their lo- local muni on the weekend. Um, so what is, in your opinion, you know, the best uh, training aid? Uh, this is specifically for, for Dave, but uh, the best training aid that an a, a amateur golfer can use to help their putting. <laughs> Well, interesting one. That's a tough one, really, um, because I think it could be so individual, can't it, to what the what the actual golfer needs. So I, I like training aids personally. I, I use a lot of them in, in in my coaching, and you know I've developed various ones over the over the years because I think you know that that feedback that you get from them is particularly important. You do have to use them carefully and correctly. So that you're not over reliant on that feedback. But in terms of what would be really, you know, good generic training aid, well, I one of the simplest training aids that you can 
you can use, which I think will give you really good feedback, would be like a start line gate. So, you know, and, and if you don't have access to these gates, you could even just use two T-pegs, but just learning the skill of starting the ball on your line, you know, will give you great feedback. It, once you can start the ball on your line, then go, go and start to learn the really important stuff, such as like, you know, getting the right speed or reading the green. Um, but very often players don't have that ability and um, it's then very difficult to get feedback on your other areas like the green reading because you're not starting it on your intended line. So that's a, a kind of fundamental skill that I would encourage golfers to learn is develop the ability to start the ball on your intended line. So a really good training gate is you know, a putting gate that you've got to roll the ball through. For example, if you had two tee pegs, 11 inches down your ball to target line, you know, five centimeters wide, that would give you 0.75 degrees of error. You'd have to start the ball within 0.75 degrees of error in order to get through those paths. Got real control over your start line. Awesome. Yeah, um, Nate, uh, if, if I can, I just have one final comment. I, I yeah. think, you know, when I, when I listen to Phil, um, and I, I, I think I, it, I think about Faldo a lot, actually, because Faldo, when he when he when he speaks, not just your accent, uh, but when <laughs> when when Faldo speaks, he always talks about fractions and, and a fraction here and a fraction there and and how important all of these things are in, in really fine tuning performance. And um, as a Formula One fan, you, you start to think of of all of the telemetry and all of the data that they collect. Um, to, to make a car go, you know, just a little bit faster here, a little bit faster there. I find it fascinating. And then when you take that and you apply those principles to golf and especially to putting, and we see this explosion of things like TrackMan and Capto and, and Quintic and all these things that are capable of measuring, you know, to the, just the nth degree, take that information and give it to somebody who's devoted their life, their life's work and their passion like Phil has uh, to taking that data and really fine tuning things that inspires us at Odyssey to no end. And, and, you know, things that we begin to look at is stroke lab shaft. People would think, you know, it's a gimmick or it's, you know, it's, it's a graphite shaft and it looks different, but it can improve things that are very measurable. Maybe not, you know, 20 yards longer, like a driver, but, a fraction here and a fraction there. And when we can take that, that R and D capability and that, that sort of addiction to, to transformational breakthrough and give it to people like Phil Kenyon and the best players in the world, that's how people get better. And anyways, Phil, yeah. you inspire us and, and we're going to keep grinding because there's answers out there that people haven't uncovered yet. Well, no, well, I appreciate that. Well, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that, you know, that lower marginal gains, get, lower marginal gains if you can just you know improve one percent here there they, they add up um, they do they stack up they do i've got a great story I've, I've got to tell you this story but there's a guy called david brailsford who's a performance um director and he was he headed up british cycling and a few years ago we had like a phenomenal olympics and all our cyclists basically won everything and at the end of the olympics apparently like the french performance director came up to David and he said, David, you know, tell me what's the secret. And apparently he turned around and just said, our, our wheels are rounder. <laughs> <laughs> but 
he's a he was a type of bloke that you know you had to think well maybe they are slightly rounder because <laughs> he had every single detail covered you know he'd be one percent better at every tough. single aspect and you add those up and ultimately that you know and I think that's kind of what Bryson's doing at the moment isn't it? he's looking at every single part of his game and uh, looking for those marginal gains and uh, yeah that's where you can find big leaps in your performance or Justin Rose your story with Justin Rose it's yeah, the same well, thing same thing I mean th- these guys at this level it, they're dealing in fractions aren't they and yeah. that's what they're trying to do is get these marginal gains and and technology, whether it be equipment or, you know, whether it be the actual equipment that they have in their bag, if they can get something that's going to give them, you know, one or two percent better, then that's massive for them. Well, not just, not just the fact that it is one or two percent better, but when you give the best players in the world a, a, a reason to become more confident, yeah. that's, that's, that is very dangerous for the rest of the field. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. There's yeah. a psychology to everything, and, and definitely there as well. Yeah, you guys, thank you for spending almost an hour together talking putters, putter fitting. It's it's past time to get my uh, next protein shake. You know, I'm taking the uh, pricing <laughs> training approach. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to uh, uh, wrap it up here. But again, thank you both for sharing your knowledge with me and with our listeners. And uh, I know they'll really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll, they'll become better putters as a result of uh, this hour. Great. Cheers, Nathan, and thanks, Sean. Thanks for all you do, Phil, and, and thanks for being such a close friend of the company. A couple of reminders. Uh, don't forget to tune in uh, every Monday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio. The Fitting Room goes live where we answer your fitting questions live on there, so give us a call every Monday night. Um, and don't forget as well – um, uh, a relatively new program, Callaway Distance Fitting. Head over to callawaygolf.com slash distance fitting. You can get 30 minutes one-on-one with a Cal- uh, Callaway certified master fitter. And you can talk putters, a lot of the stuff we talked today. And uh, you can talk with the certified master fitter and uh, start your uh, putter fitting journey there. Um, if, the, if you have any questions for us, you can always reach us on the Callaway community, callawaygolf.com slash community. Head over to the Fitting Corner thread. And all of your questions will be answered there. The best questions will get pulled onto the podcast and on the live show as well. So you don't want to miss that. And the fitting room is part of the Callaway podcast network of wonderful programming. This episode was produced by Tyler Sheehan, recorded by Jen Turk and edited by Trevor Miglarino. We'll be back next week with more from the fitting room.